Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 230 of Dogcast Radio. Visit dogcastradio.com for more dog-themed fun. Today, I'll be finding out about Kelly Connorboy's book, The Particulars of Peter. The main thing I hope people get from it is just wanting to have a deeper relationship with their own dog and seeing their own dog as an individual. And we have the Dogcast Radio News. I think a lot of science is things that as an animal person, you kind of think of as just common sense. Like, yeah. of course, you know. Yeah. And then when you get the science to back it up, you're like, see, yeah. my dog loves me and it's science. <laughs> but before all that, we have a fantastic interview about how to be a green dog owner with George Bramble and James Bennett. George runs the environmentally friendly company Beco and James is a prominent vet. This is a really interesting and wide-ranging conversation, which I hope will inspire you and provide lots of practical advice on how to be as green a dog owner as possible. Initially, I found out a little bit about each man. Here's George first. Thank you very much for having me on today. I have a business that makes pet products ranging from poop bags, bamboo dog bowls, through to um a sort of ethically and sustainably sourced dog food um and we've been going for about 10 years now um and really just set out with a mission to make great pet products that um try and cause as little harm to the environment as possible um and that's sort of what we stand for and yeah 10 years on we're we're still going strong and um focusing mainly on dog products um but we do a few cat products as well Excellent. Why shouldn't cats be green too? And you, you've you noticed a difference in attitudes to the products, haven't you, over the years as, as time's gone by? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's um, it's been amazing. When we started with our, our bamboo dog bowls, um, I think the first year at Crufts, I remember a lady sort of looking at them um, and uh, and asking why, why on earth we would sell an eco-friendly dog bowl made from bamboo. Um, and, you know, fast forward 10 years and I call it sort of pre-Attenborough, post-Attenborough. Uh, you know, David Atom has done amazing things to to bring awareness to the issues our planet faces and, um, you know, consumer demand for products with uh, uh, traceability, transparency and, and sustainable materials has definitely grown in the last couple of years. Um, and, and with that, as you know, posed lots of questions about how we consume as humans, but also our, our furry friends. Yeah. Definitely, absolutely, and um, and you're a pet parent as well, aren't you? That's right. I've got Tarka, who's a five-year-old black lab, um, and she she pretty much comes everywhere with me. Um, and uh, yeah, she's she's probably you know chief product tester at Beco, um, <laughs> and uh, as a black Labrador, she she eats anything, so that makes it quite easy. <laughs> so, uh, she's a- a good audience. <laughs> a good audience, yeah. Captive audience. Is so, yeah, so she's great. Oh, excellent. I'm not biased at all, but you can't beat a black Labrador. There you go. <laughs> Ask so, James. Yes, I will. I will. And, and <laughs> sure you, whatever you've got, James, you can't beat that either, I'm sure. <laughs> James, tell us a bit about you, because you're, you're a, a leading vet, aren't you? So, yeah, hi there. Yeah, I'm James, James Bennett. Um, I'm the owner of a vet practice, a brand new vet practice in West London called Wolf Vets. Um, we are uh, trying to harness the best of old fashioned veterinary medicine, animal care and 
the service to pet owners, you know, to be here for people and to, and to actually really, um, really look after everyone in our, in our brood, but also uh, really be at the cutting edge of modern veterinary medicine. Um, I'm an advanced practitioner in small animal surgery and also feline practice. And so we're really looking to cover animal care from all different directions and be able to provide a, an outstanding medical service for um, any pet that walks in through our door. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, in green issues and sustainability you know, just in, in the same way that it really has become um, something it's the zeitgeist isn't it yes. um, and so anything that we can do and anything that we can kind of put back um, we we do you know we have a charity arm to our vet practice as well which um, though not currently channeling green issues is, is all animal welfare based which I think then has a spillover to green and sustainability issues as well uh, so yeah I'm really excited to be here talking to you guys today Great, great. And tell me about your dogs as well. So I've got uh, a rescue whippet called Archie. He's a bit of a doddery old boy now. He's adorable. Yeah. Um, and a Hungarian visitor called Agnes, who was an incredibly naughty puppy and <laughs> matured into the most loving family dog in the world. Um, so, yeah, my wife and our kids are absolutely besotted with them. Oh, lovely, lovely. Oh, I like a naughty puppy. You can't beat a naughty puppy either. <laughs> there you go. I had a black Labrador that was a naughty puppy, but there you go. That's <laughs> Okay, so we are here to talk about a really important issue, and that's being a, a green dog owner, an environmentally friendly dog owner. So, but first of all, why is it so important to be a green dog owner? I think that we as human beings and consumers, I mean, a lot of us are trying to make green choices in our lives um, because we actually really, really care about the world around us. And we're a lot more or better informed about that world now than we used to be. There are spillovers um, from being green um, to um, our animals' health and also to the health of the animals' that go into the food that we eat, that we, that our dogs eat. And because our dogs are eating chickens and chickens don't mind if they go into dog food or if they go into, uh, you know, if they, if they go into our mouths. Um, and so I think it's important from two different um, directions, you know, both animal welfare and also, you know, world welfare, if you kind of excuse me using the same terminology. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it's um it's if I well if I'll use the Disney term. It's the circle of life, but it is, isn't it? I mean, we're all interconnected. Yeah, yeah, we can't get away from it. And I think the the pandemic has shown us. If it's shown us one thing, it's shown us that we're all interconnected and we all have an effect on each other. And we have that's a responsibility. And it's maybe not a res- responsibility everybody's um, embraced yet, but you know we have to. It's, it's important that we do so. So, so George, you take it so seriously that your your company is entirely um, green and you have sustainable products. And I mean, the more I find out about them, it's fascinating. So tell me something about something, something about why, why it's so important for other people to sort of, to join you in this. Well, I think, you know, dog ownership brings so many benefits, um, whether it's that to, to the human, uh, to humans essentially, or, or cat ownership, pet ownership generally, whether it's mental well-being, it's, you know, exercise, um, companionship, you know, all these amazing things, but, the, the harsh reality is, that, you know, 
having pets has an environmental impact just as yes. you know buying clothes or um you know consuming um generally so i think it's about being aware of that and and for us we we've not got there's no silver bullet you know you can't um by by having a pet there is an environmental in, in, environmental impact for us it's about trying to minimize that or give the option to the mass market to be able to minimize their environment environmental impact so you know we focus on making great products but in doing so really really look to to use materials um or ingredients that lower our, our carbon what we call it carbon paw print um and and that's the whole ethos behind behind the brand um and and i think it's important that you know we all have a responsibility um to try and reverse the the change essentially global climate change and and try to to um whether that's planting more trees or or you know buying materials ingredients that are, are, are you know transparently um sourced or farmed i think that's really important yes yeah absolutely and i think the other thing is it's easy to think well the the little decisions that i make you know whether i choose brand a or brand b it doesn't really matter but if enough people think well i'll choose the good brands you know the the um the, the ethically sourced and, and the products that use the right um, um materials I can make a difference. And in, if enough of us do that, we will make a difference altogether. And it's a minefield because I've bought what I thought and what were labelled as, you know, um, green and, and um, environmentally friendly poo bags, for example. And then you find out, no, no, they actually break down into microplastics. And you go, oh, no, no. So to have a reliable brand is is brilliant that you can go, no, I know this this is is actually, you know, whether that's your where you're buying your your food and your toys or whether that's your vet you go to that's that's such a welcome thing as a dog owner i think that the skill there really is that the the products just need to be better so that you end up with an advantage as the consumer in choosing the products which are more environmentally environmentally friendly you know so if i um if you take poo bags as an example Mm. if the strongest and best poo bag on the market is also the most environmentally friendly one then fantastic yeah, and so, yeah, so that's the kind of thing that um, if things are well made, um, then the, you can hopefully have these things go hand in hand. You know, and hopefully, um, you know, the health of dogs can be improved by feeding natural foods, and so then it, you know, then that spills over to you know having um, the foods which are you know, more environmentally friendly, hopefully as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've hit the nail on the head there because it's, as humans, we do usually what's best for us, what's in it for me, or I'm not going to do it, you know, a lot, a lot of us. Um, so if the, as you say, if you, if the best bag that you can buy that doesn't get the poo on your fingers and up your yeah, fingernails, exactly. yes, you're yeah. going to buy that bag. So, yep, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think early on, we sort of what made the mistake, but, you know, I think for us, when you're trying to use, sustainable materials sometimes you end up with a product that's not exactly functional so i remember the first dog ball ball we made so a toy um was made from natural rubber and rice husk and and we wanted to make it completely natural so we filled this thing full of rice husk and we basically ended up with a shot put um so you know there, there was a chance that somebody might get seriously injured in the park um and we had to sort of change the way we made that product so I think James is absolutely right. There's no point in making a product from sustainable materials if it doesn't work. You've 
we, we take the process, we're going to design an amazing product and then how do we limit our environmental impact or how do we make, and, and what we've found, as James says, is if you're investing in good ingredients or quality materials, actually you get a better product at the end of the day as well as it having a lower carbon print or footprint on, on the planet. Yeah, yeah. So... Having said it's it's a, a minefield and and, I, and I've made wrong decisions and I've and then somebody's explained it to me and I've gone oh my goodness I've done the wrong thing completely unwittingly. How do we become green dog owners? What's the most important decision or change that we can make? Well, I think obviously the largest part is is the pet's food. You know that's where eighty percent of spend goes. That's where um, we have the the biggest impact. I mean. I think there was a stat out there saying that 25% of um, land for farming is is actually going towards feeding our pets, which is, wow. you know, through dog food and cat food. There's, yes. there's stats out there as large as that. So I think the first thing I'd say is that when you're looking at a food, really focus on on where the ingredients come from and try and try and, you know, buy natural, buy brands that can tell you where the ingredients come from. You know, there's lots of things you can do, you know, as a brand Beco, we've decided to source ingredients closer to home. So by telling people that our ingredients come from Norfolk or we, we use a farm in Hampshire for our chamomile, we're trying to reduce our carbon miles. So so really, I think the first point of call is, is if you're a pet owner and you're reading the back of a bag or on a website, you know, try and ask where are those ingredients coming from? Um, because that's a, that's a really interesting point, actually, because, you know, there are um, uh, the various pet food manufacturers where the, 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 the meat sources might be, say, in Thailand. And so and these are global brands. And so if you're living in the Far East, and that actually seems to be a relatively eco choice. But then if you're living in the UK, less so. And yeah, George, I understand what George is saying. You know, read the ingredients and look at what the descriptions are. And hopefully, as long as people are being transparent with their marketing, um, then you can make informed choices. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, it's that's one of the things that as a, as a consumer, as a dog owner, when you stand there looking at the array of products, you, I kind of think, well, you meat is meat. What am I actually looking for here? So that's that's great to actually hear that. Having said that, You've touched on this a bit, James, but meat is not just meat, is it? There are there are ways of ensuring animal welfare for the animals that are going into the, the food. Well, so- that's absolutely right. Um, animals being sentient beings. The reason that we love our dogs so much is because they're sentient, expressive, emotional beings, and they're these incredible benefits to our lives. Um, all animals, uh, they can they they have they they can get stressed, they experience pain, um, and they suffer diseases, and so. If we can source food in a way that um, improves the lives of these animals, and that's an incredibly important thing to me. I yes. think hopefully it's increasingly important to lots of different people. Um, often, um, hyper-intensive farming um, is not environmentally friendly. Yeah. Um, and so if we can make choices which mean that you are feeding animals which have led a more natural life, then often that has less of an environmental impact. Um, yeah, especially kind of interestingly, you know, wild foods, um, are, these are animals which are perhaps leading shorter lives than a pet would because the, the, the living in the wild is dangerous and raw. But um, you know, wild foods, if you can feed animals wild foods, then it means that these animals have led a completely natural life. 
um, which has to be high welfare, in my opinion. Um, And therefore, that's probably actually both not having a great impact on the environment um, because we're not having to intensively farm or farm at all. And then we're also um, putting animals in that have had a, have had, really lived the way that they were, you know, the way that nature intended. Yes. I think that's, I mean, for us, that's something very close to my heart is, um, yeah, we've recently taken the decision to remove uh, salmon oil um, from our our pet foods. And and that's an example where, you know, people think of salmon farming as um, a really sustainable, you know, option. You know, you're not harvesting wild fish. Um, But ultimately, because they're so intensively reared and because that profession is not heavily regulated, um, the, the, the basically the pesticide, the, the chemicals that they're putting into the water and the effluence that's coming from these salmon farms is damaging the environment. And so we actually decided, made a decision to, to source wild fish, um, which might sound counter, you know, um, counterintuitive, to, but ultimately wild fish, as long as you're sourcing it sustainably and you're looking for the blue label, the MSC label, label, label Marine Stewardship Council, um, you know, as long as that, that, that fishery is sustainable and then, then it's a better option. So I think, you know, and the same can be said for, for wild, you know, wild animals like wild boar rather than farmed cattle, that's going to have a lower environmental impact. So for different reasons, but yeah, I think James is absolutely right there. Yeah, two of those things to say there, I mean, you were talking about how people can make those choices and, you know, there are organisations out there which, um, uh, which, which do certify and, you know, I think that, you know, which, which have, you know, which we can hopefully trust and the MSC feels like one of those. And so if you've got that kind of labeling, I think it's something that you can follow. I mean, something that's quite, it's quite interesting about, um, the environmental impact of things is something that's not, that is, um, potentially counterintuitive as you're saying about salmon farming is that yeah, as a, as a, a fisherman, you know, I'm interested in water quality in the rivers. Um, and um, I can't remember the, and I imagine I probably shouldn't name um, the, uh, the the large egg company. Um, anyway, so free range chickens. Um, it's really important to think about their effluent in the same way that um, apparently it's easier to contain the effluent of battery caged chickens, mm. but their welfare is appalling. Yes. Um, but so, but free-range chickens, you need to work harder to contain the effluent from those because that can then contaminate the water sources because you can get more runoff from the fields that they're in. So yeah. it's a really, really difficult challenge for farmers. It's a challenge for the government to police these things. But then it's a challenge for people who are choosing to put these things into their foods to, to make sure that you've got the appropriate supplies as well. So uh, it's, I think that... It's about brands getting their stories out there and understanding so that consumers can understand what's in it. So the people that can and these things that snowball, hopefully people care more and more and more. I, I did a psychology degree in my in between my second and third years at the university, you know, just for fun. You know, wow. which, is, which is, you know, slightly absurd in hindsight. Uh, but yeah, it was fascinating. And they had there was this concept about the I think it was the, the expanding moral circle. Um, and that you know, it started off that our moral circle was only within our um, you know, our hunter-gatherer group, and then that expanded to be a village and expanded to be a city and then a nation. And and now our expanding moral circle has expanded through to include 
pet animals um, and then the environment. And so we attach a, there is a moral, um, we put morality to these, to these choices. And I think that it is natural, as George says about David Attenborough, you know, as the message gets out there more and more and more, hopefully more and more people can uh, you know, make choices which are really, really good for the environment. Yeah. And I think, I think now more than ever, we, we all realise that we're all interconnected, right? Um, yes. This year with the pandemic, I think that the gone of the day, we are a global society and a global uh, community. And it's, it's important that we, we try and make those decisions uh, as, a, as a nation, as a globe. And I think putting, it is really up to the consumer to ask questions. It's also up to government. I mean, for example, nothing's, um, salmon farming can be a great way of sustainably, you know, producing food for the future. But, you know, there needs to be more regulation and, and things like that. So it's 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 not straightforward. It's not, you know, black and white. There's, there's a lot of grey area. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It is. It is a complicated area. There's no um, easy answer. Why, um, James, while you were talking about the chickens, because I went straight away to, oh, we, I've just been watching videos about um, clicker training chickens. And I was thinking, oh, could we train them to go and uh-huh. go and relieve themselves, you know, toilet train them? But of course, then... I, I'm not sure. Do they have control over? I'm, I, you're the right person to ask a vet. You, I don't know whether they cover this in vet college, but I mean, chicken, well, birds in general, they don't actually control when they pee and poo, do they? No, not at all. I assume it's about containment of these kind of things in farms. I've, ne- I've got to admit, I've never ge- given it really that much thought. I love the idea of having a clicker trained chicken. Yeah. That'd be amazing. You could be a professional chicken trainer. Yes. <laughs> I think it might drive you a bit do lally trying to trade them, but you know, you know, on, on a on a big scale. But we, I, I could give it a go. I could with enough funding, I'd give it a go. But yes, there we go. We, I come up with lots of projects during interviews. And go, oh, we need to blah blah blah, and, and then they're completely unworkable. But there we go. It's fun. Um, so there's definitely we we need to look for the right brands, and so there are there there is there are differences between the way our traditional, if you like, dog food is made and the way uh, a green dog food is made. You've, you've touched on many of them, George. What are the other ways that a, a green, a sustainable dog food or your dog food is, is different in the way it's um, made? Well, well, I mean, we've made decisions and um, tried to make the right decisions in, in lowering it. For ex- example, one of the things we've done is we've chosen to use um, wild boar uh, rather than beef or, beef or lamb as our kind of large meat dog food and the reason we chose wild boar was was that obviously cattle and lamb are ruminants form stomach animals and emit a lot of methane so from an environmental perspective that's not great so we we looked at single stomach animals and and they actually release a lot a lot less methane um less damaging on the environment so we were looking at pork and and then um suddenly we thought well what about wild boar? Um, and wild boar, there's a, a growing population in Europe. Um, they're actually seen as, um, you know, overpopulated and um, almost vermin over there. So they have to control the population. And um, it's a great novel protein for dogs. So, you know, it's not in many other dog foods. So if dogs have intolerances to meats like chicken, for example, it's a, it's a great option. Um, and uh, it's also lean, um, and, and as I say, it, it lives in, as um, we touched on earlier, as, as James touched on earlier, it's in the wild, so it's a, essentially a foraging animal. You're not growing crops to feed it. Yeah. So that was that was one thing we've done. 
Um, and another thing is looking at things like packaging. So again, that that's not easy because ultimately in dog food, you're looking at large sacks of food and um, finding a material that you can print on, um, you know, using a recycled plastic. There just isn't that option at the moment. There's options to use recyclable plastic. Um, but we, we decided to, to, to pay more and, or spend more and go for a compostable packaging. Um, so the best way to get rid of that is either to put it on your home compost with your fruit and veg or to put it in a food waste bin or something like that. So, you know, that's a decision we've made. Um, again, it's, uh, yeah, there's, that's just a, a choice and that's more environmentally friendly than using uh, virgin plastic um, but you know hopefully there will be more packaging solutions out there um, as as the market moves that way yeah yeah excellent I'm really into compostable I've, I've just <laughs> I've only recently got into composting and now I just oh can I compost this oh right that can go in so that's that's really great to hear James how good in in terms of our, our dog's health are sort of um the things that that um george has just been talking about are there benefits for them are we making a good decision for our dogs um i think we need to extrapolate slightly from human studies with regard to this um Mm. uh, it is the big pet food manufacturers have got an awful lot of evidence that their foods actually do end up with quite healthy dogs but um is it necessarily the best thing and if we're looking to um, provide the best. I think that we need to, you know, we need to not necessarily look just at the outcome studies. We also need to really just have a good hard think about the quality of the ingredients that are going into these things. Um, and um, I always liken the major pet food, major pet foods, to um, you know, what human beings may end up eating when we have um, really. Um, uh, ruin the earth or maybe if we're having to live in space or something like that you know it's these are it's almost like it's um, chemically put together um, as a reaction um, to um, end up with acceptable health or good health um, but um, it's not a natural food and we do like things to be natural we understand that um, for ourselves if you're going to be healthy it's better to eat um, home-cooked food than it is to live off um, uh, slim fast shakes and protein bars um, yeah. and, and that's partly because you're dealing with processed food so if you're if, if we're processing our food less I think that it is a common sense point that we could potentially really benefit our animals health um, and to come back to the eco side of stuff and the animal welfare side of stuff it, in general, um, I don't think I could, I mean, not specifically, actually, I don't think I could say, I can say any um, of the standard large brands which have any eco or welfare credentials in the foods which they sell. Um, and so if that's something that we care about, then I think that you end up needing to go um, for the, the the more boutique or um, newer brands, you know, boutique companies. Take George's company for example. It's 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 very widely stocked, and they create, they do, they they do um, sell and provide an awful lot of dog food. So these aren't really kind of small brands. These are well well researched brands of food, um, but they're not necessarily the major manufacturers. Now, and I don't, I, I I don't want people to say that feeding. If you're going to feed your dog some of the big big dog brands, you know, some of them are great. Their premium lines are good, but they just 
they aren't really doing for the animals which go into them what brands like George's do. Yes, yeah. And it's important if, you know, you uh, the odds are if you have a dog, you're going to be a dog lover. So you you want all the animals whose lives you touch to to be to live as well as possible. I mean, I, I feel really strongly about that. I, I'm just thinking, is there anything else we can do in terms of how we present the food to the dog? Um, so, for example, uh, we have a small dog. And um, so we were giving her putting her breakfast in her bowl and she'll sort of she'll monitor herself she'll sort of have half of it and then she'll come back a bit later in the day and I'm thinking well that's not great because then the the food is sitting in the bowl and so we've we've started to split feed which is something we did with our other dogs but we haven't so much done with her but then is split feeding better is there anything anything to do with that the way we actually give the food to the dog for health or for environmental reasons? Well, for less waste, I'm, I'm, I suppose for health, but also for, for less waste. You know, if I end up looking at the bowl and going, oh, well, that's gone hard and horrible and she's not going to eat that now and I end up throwing it away, um, that's no good. So, uh, sorry, you don't have a, a Labrador doesn't leave food. No, I don't, I know I don't have my Labrador anymore. No, I, right. he, he wouldn't have left it, uh, um, George. He would have it, lapped it all up and gone, yeah, more, please. No, um, my, the dog in our house now is my daughter's dog and she's a little German Spitzklein, like a little Pomeranian. Right. So she's gorgeous, but she's just just not gutsy, and she's she'll sort of eat, and then she'll go, mm, yeah, I've had enough for a bit, thank you, and she'll wander <laughs> away. Something Buddy would never have said, you know. So that's that's what I'm thinking about. Well, that's definitely. I think James, you as a vet, you've probably dealt with a lot of fussy dogs. What's your advice <laughs> on that? Well, I suppose don't don't overestimate how big their stomach is. I mean, we always think that dogs should it should all eat like Labradors. Yeah, a little a, a little say a Pomeranian, for example. You know, their stomach is well, it's probably about I don't know, suppose it depends how big your hands are. If I look at my hands, their yeah. stomach is probably about half of the size of my palm, even when it's completely absolutely full. And so they need pretty small meals. It, it doesn't take much to fill them up. Yeah, um, and they are. You know, some dogs are picky. I mean, my uh, my. My dog, which I, 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 I don't, I don't think my mother would would resent me for saying this, which replaced me when uh, when I was thirteen years old, and I was I was I was sent away, and um, and uh, so she had this little dog called Henry that she hand fed for the first two years of his life, um, and it what a rod for her own back, made entirely out of love, but you know he was a really he was so picky, he was so. He actually ended up the normal dog in the end. He decided he grew up and he became really gutsy and hungry. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. Not try not to hand feed them. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the thing is that I I can completely understand because our little mischief. She if she doesn't eat, and you go, oh, what's the matter, darling? Do you want this little bit? And of course she goes. Yeah, okay, I'll have that. It's from your hand. And you go, oh, yeah. do, you want, do you want this little bit now? And of course, before you know what you've done, you've fed 20 bits to this dog and she's going, I like this better than eating straight out of the bowl, thank you. And you exactly. go, oh. she's like a little Roman emperor. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, guess, I, guess, I guess the other thing is, you know, we're, we're just about to launch, a, 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 well, we're, we're developing a treat range at the moment and um, we're actually focusing on low-calorie treats, on on low-meat content, on you know, as, as you would expect from a for sustainable pet brand. But I think treats is probably a, a thing that if you treat your dog through the day and then then put a meal down in front of it, um, it, it might not be uh, that keen on, on, on eating the food. I, I have that with my two-year-old daughter. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm giving her snacks all day, she won't eat her dinner in the evening. So I think, you know, what I'm, we're certainly seeing a lot of, a lot of consumers, you know, pet owners feeding 
lots of treats and things like that. So I guess it's just about using common sense and thinking about, you know, what you th- feed the dog through the day. Yeah, yeah. I certainly think during lockdown, um, the, the more I go, the more often I go to the fridge and go and grab a coffee or whatever, and they look down, and the dog's looking up at you yeah. going, well, you're having something to eat. Where's mine? You go, oh, all right. <laughs> so it is, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. I've always been able to keep my dogs slimmer than me. So it's, it's great for the dogs. I, I need to work on me, but <laughs> um, I've got one eye on the time. So if there's one thing I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you both time now, but if there's one thing you want people to take away from today or, or to know sort of in general about this subject, what would that be? We'll go to James first. I think really that if you, if you care about the environment and if you um, are trying to make choices which have an environmental impact in your life that you can actually marry this hand in hand within with improved animal welfare i think you know so i i come at so many of the things which i think of with relation to animals just kind of like caring that they actually have um that they they live lives without suffering you know they can exhibit normal behavior etc um and so uh try and feed your animals food if you can um, that uh, contains high welfare ingredients and you will probably end up benefiting the environment as well. Yeah, lovely. Thank you very much. And George, what would you say? What would you like people to take away from this? It's it, it sound, it's quite a daunting thing, um, you know, thinking that we've got to make environmentally friendly choices. But I think it's just starting simply saying, you know, with dog food, for example, picking up the bag or cat food, and looking looking at the ingredient list on the back, um, have, have you got ingredients broken down? Uh, are they? Um, is there any way looking at the website where you can find out where these ingredients have come from? And you know, w- what's the origin of the food? And I think just just making choices like that and and choosing brands that um, are, are willing to be transparent on that, I think, is a really good start. Um, and then also just just make sensible choices whether it's um you know choosing compostable boot bags or or uh buying a a toy that's made from um you know a material that's not virgin plastic it would be a good start and i think just making little choices like that um is is all that anyone can do and if everyone does it then we'll make real progress yeah Excellent, excellent. And I think you're right. Just just make the little choices that you can, and then it becomes easier and easier. So the first time, sort of, my daughter turned around and said, "Well, we don't, we we shouldn't buy this because it's got the um, the oil in it that that uh, devastates the the orangutan welfare uh, um, habitat habitat." Palmer, yeah. uh, thank you, Palmer. And um, and I, you kind of look at it, you go, "But I like those biscuits, and I want yeah. to buy them." And but then when you when you actually you know, and you see an advert that that reminds you about this and you look at the orangutan's face and you think, oh, my goodness, I have to do this. And then you make that decision. And then the next time that criteria is reinforced for you and, and it's easier the second time. And, and it, you, you, it snowballs so you can make, you know, do more good. There's so much more to say about this. And, and, and maybe we'll talk again because there is there's so much more to say. But for now, um, George, where can people find out more about you online? Um, we we have a website um, bcopets.com um, so yeah people can go there they can read about our products and, and a bit more about the company um, that that's where where to start great thank you very much and James where can people find out more about you online uh, likewise we have a website um, wolfvets.co.uk um, um, and it tells you a bit about me 
and uh, about the, the the vet practice that we're running. Um, and, you know, hopefully um, we can do something really, really good for animals. Wasn't that fascinating? Being green is something I aspire to and wrestle with on a daily basis. So it's great to be able to talk to George and James and get some ideas and information. I'll keep you informed on the clicker training chickens idea. <laughs> now, we have a great giveaway for you. Beco have kindly offered Dogcast Radio listeners a free gift of a 900 gram bag of Beco dog food, which would normally cost £7.50. As you heard in the interview, Beco's ingredients are sustainably, responsibly sourced. So, to claim this fab offer, all you need to do is email Beco at hello at becopets.com. So that's hello at becopets.com. B-E-C-O-P-E-T-S dot com. And you'll need to tell them your dog's name, their breed, your delivery address, and you must include the code fans of Julie. That's all one word and it can be uppercase or lowercase, but it has to be fans of Julie, all one word with no spaces. You will need to specify whether you want chicken or fish and the first hundred people to write in, well, to email in to hello at becopets.com will get a bag of dog food for their dog. And I'd love to hear from you, uh, particularly if your dog really, really enjoys that food. As as George was saying, he tests it all out on Tarka um, and she can recommend it. Um, so do let me know how what your dog makes of it. If you need those details again, obviously you can rewind and listen a bit more, or if you'd like to see them written down, you can go to dogcastradio.com. This is episode 230. All the details will be there. Or alternatively, you can find the details on our social media. That's fantastic. A big thank you to Biko for that great gift to our wonderful listeners. If you've discovered or come up with a great way to be a green dog owner, get in touch and let me know and I'll recycle that knowledge and I'll let everyone else know. Dogs can sniff at the same time as breathing. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. And now it's time for the Dogcast Radio news. Hello and hi. Hi. Shall we leave that in? <laughs> you just wait and listen. Right. So we're going to start with a story about the royal family, not. The story you're thinking of. Not that one. Not about the corgis. Oh, yes, it is. Any, it is the one you're talking about, yes. Okay, so apparently the Queen has had two new corgis. Um, the background to this is obviously the, the Queen has had lots of corgis over the years. She's bred them, she's, she's lived with them, she's loved them. And then as she's got older, she's sort of not not replaced them, if you like, not bred them again. So they, they've sort of, sadly as they do, died off. I think she's left with one... Doggy, which is not just a posh way of saying dog, it's corgi. Corgi cross dachshund, so doggy. I just got that doggy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was working it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so 
genius. She has a <laughs> she has a doggy. Do you know what? Mischief's in the room. She's in the room, so there you go. She's never been in here before, and she, like while we were recording. Yeah. And she's just like, what is going on? <laughs> it's a whole new era of, of news. It's just re- relaxed news. Um, yeah, so she had a doggy, and it was a doggy. Um, and so she now has had two two corgis. Apparently it was, I mean, how much can you believe it from the media? I don't know, but they, she's had two corgis. Um, I, I think we can believe that in the Queen still. The Queen still exists. <laughs> I think we can believe that much. But apparently she's had two corgis. And she's called one Charles, apparently, which is, there's a lot to say about that. <laughs> but, I mean, there's, there's a lot to say about this story anyway. And, I mean, she's, what is she, 96? I may be adding years on there, but she's, she's... 90 a lot. 90 a lot, 90 a lot. So, for your average 90 a lot dog owner to get a puppy, you might think, gosh, that's, that's taking a lot on. However, she is a very active 90 a lot year old, and let's face it, she has a lot of help. And I think at the moment, wherever your allegiances lie, even if they lie not with the royal family at all. Um, you have to think that, like, at the moment, with with the poo hitting the fan somewhat, there's a woman that needs a dog. And it doesn't really matter if there's a little bit of dog poo hitting the fan as well, you know? <laughs> yes. You're not going to notice. <laughs> Throw a bit of corgi puppy poo in there. Um, one thing I will say, and again, I don't know if this is true. This is I've seen this in the mirror. Um... Not just the mirror looking at my face, I mean the mirror newspaper in the in the UK. Um and apparently they were from a website. And I have to question the, I'm not against websites, obviously. A, a web there's a difference, isn't there, between a website that helps you find a breeder or a rescue. But a website that sells dogs themselves is yeah. not a great not website. Always, no. That's not yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, there may well be some reputable breeders in there amongst the the others on that site. Um, but you know, really, ideally, you want to find a breeder who has a waiting list. You want to find the breeder who's right for you, and and <laughs> you can probably hear mischief breathing. Yes, I do. You want to find the breeder that's right for you if you're going to go down the route of buying. Um, find the breeder that's right for you. Meet their dogs. Meet them. Talk to them. Get to know them. They get to know you. And then ideally, that's the situation. And you go on their waiting list. And when a dog becomes available, that's you get that dog. Because, again, ideally, <laughs> a breeder doesn't always have puppies available. No. I know that lockdown and, and the pandemic makes it difficult, but... Mm. And I know people want a dog and, you know, there are valid reasons for getting a dog in this time. But you're going to have that dog, hopefully, for a long time. And it's for the sake of, you know, a couple of months or even a year. If that means you get a dog from a breeder rather than just a website that it might be dodgy, you know, mm. I, th- I think it's it's worth it. I mean... Yeah. <sighs> Especially the Queen. I would have thought the Queen could, like... <laughs> yes, set an example I mean, for us, yeah. You know, yeah. you, you could... Maybe, if it's true, again, if it's true, I don't yeah. know if it's true, but surely she should be setting us the best example in, in, in every way. And I'm not going to delve into... Sorry, Mischief's got hold of my phone, from which I'm reading <laughs> the stories. Um, I'm not going to delve too much into this, because, you know, is buying a dog from a website 
as we say, that, that kind of yeah. website. I'm not against all websites. But then, and the other thing that, one of the things that worries me, again, not for these dogs, yet they've gone to the, the queen, they're gonna have their home for life, they're gonna be, yeah. you know, if they need help, they'll be sorted out, they're a doggy family, so they'll be okay. But, the other thing that I worry about is having two dogs at the same, two yes. puppies at the same time. I mean, that's not ideal mm. in any situation, yeah. but yeah. I mean, I can see there are situations where it can work. But there are situations where it can go extremely wrong. Yeah, yeah. But if you have kind of that amount of money and stuff that you can just go, okay, this half of the castle will be for this dog <laughs> and this half of the castle will be for that dog. Yeah. You know. Probably not such a big <laughs> issue, is it? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not just fuddy-duddy old sort of don't have too much fun, don't get two puppies. No, That's no. not the reasoning. One of the reasons is that two puppies from the same litter, same parents, same age, obviously, particularly if they're same, same gender, same sex, however we say that for puppies, I don't know, but the same, um, the more similarity there is between the puppies, the potentially the worse the competition between them will be. If there's no marked difference between them, then they will, they will maybe fight more. So it could be bad. Alternatively, they could get on really well, they could yeah. support each other. Then, the issue is for the owner, they've got to spend much more time... Bonding with both. Yeah, and take, sh- taking them out on their own. You know, think how much work one puppy is. The classes, the walking, all of that, the training. You've got to do that twice over. And you can do some training together, obviously, but sometimes you've got to give that puppy time on its own so that it becomes happy, confident in going out on its own. So, And another thing people do is go, oh, I, you know, I haven't really got time to spend with the dog so I'll get two so that they can keep each other company mm-hmm. I would really much hope that it's not the case because again you've yes. got the <laughs> you've got the staff and you know yeah. everyone that can spend time with them so they're not going to be you know yeah. on their own somewhere but it's that thing of in this case it may be okay but yeah. in the you can't take that and go well then it's great for everything no. you know no so there's a lot to think about there but you know I hope the dogs are very happy um, and I hope they have a long, happy life and wish them well. Whatever they're called and whatever the ins and outs of it. So there you go. If it is called Charles, I hope that Charles inherits the throne. (laughs) That may have been... We may be headed for the tower now. (laughs) uh, You've stepped over the line there. Treason. That's what I think. Or treason. That may be treason. But there you go. Hopefully we'll be back next time with another episode. But, you know, if we're not, you know, come look in the tower for us. (laughs) I imagine we won't be alone in the tower at the moment. <laughs> Get us out of this deep water, Jen. Get us onto another story. Um, okay, I have a happy one and a not so happy one. Which Ooh. would you like first? Shall we have the not so happy first, and then okay. we can we can work towards happy. So, the yes. not so not happy, happy story. So, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us use YouTube for kind of tutorials yeah so like if you need to do something there is millions of videos you can just look it up and it'll go here's what you do and you kind of follow it step by step and it's really good but with everything there's like a kind of dark corner i would say yes oh yeah um and the blue cross is warning against um dog training videos that promote inhumane and ineffective methods so there's one person who's got, I think, 5,700 subscribers, and he gives advice on how to use electronic shock collars. Oh, um, It says that they deliver up to 6,000 volts of electricity, 
or they can spray like um spray things up their nose mm. and yeah. I, d- I don't really understand the concept of let's train a dog by hurting it yeah. like if you're trying to discourage it from doing something, how are you showing it the right thing to do? How does it know when it's doing the right thing? Yeah. You know, anyway, but it's such a dangerous thing because when you're just, so if it's something you're not very knowledgeable about and then you just happen to stumble upon it and you go, oh, look, because he, he puts the, the thing round his own neck and shocks himself. I think in the kind of, oh, look, it's not too yeah, bad kind of thing. Yeah. But it's, it's just a completely the wrong... No. No, and and as you say, it, it's it's not teaching the dog the right thing to do. The dogs, it, it's a very hard concept to do to give to a dog of don't do anything. It, it's it's relatively easy to praise a dog for doing the right thing and say that's what I want you to do. That's great. It's relatively easy to lure them into doing the right thing mm. and then praise them. It's a really hard concept of no, stop, don't do anything. Mm. That's a very hard concept to give them. And so what I think you get when you use these shock collars is instead of the dog getting the message of don't do that, it just gets the message of don't do anything. Mm. Don't do anything. The world is a scary place. Shocks come, horrible, hurty things come out of the blue. Yep. I, you don't know why. And so you get a shut down dog that goes, I'm not going to do anything because when I do anything, horrible things happen. Yep. And you get a very shut down, frightened. It may stop the dog doing the thing, but it's going to stop the dog doing anything. Yeah. And we're not going to get a happy dog from that. I mean, here's, here's my advice for how to use a shock collar. This may, may shock you that I'm going to say, here's my advice on how to use a shock collar. So listen up. If you're going to use a shock collar, here's what you do. Okay. Take hold of the shock collar, open the bin, throw the collar in the bin and walk away. I nearly used some naughty words there, but walk (laughs) the flip away because don't, Use it for goodness sake. Don't use it with a dog. I, I, I really, I can't stress this enough. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a behaviorist. I'm an idiot, but I know. <laughs> Come on. At the end of the day, I'm an idiot, but I know. Don't use a, a shock collar with a dog. It does not work. If you, I mean, apart from anything else, whether it works or not, if you love the dog, what the flip are you we'll doing? Bark that out. You will bark that out. Yeah, bark that out. <laughs> Missy can bark every time. Yes. <laughs> But what the flip are you doing? Shocking it. I know. He's talking about animals, uh, dogs that would kind of go and kill other animals. But <laughs> if you use a shock collar every time they go near another animal, isn't that just going to reinforce yeah. these animals are something to fear, something to... They're, they're causing something bad, so I'm going to try and kill, you know. Even more, it, yeah. It's, it's not the way to no. encourage a dog to... You know, yeah. To not do so, it's yeah, just not no, the. It's no, yeah, no. It's um, and and cleverer people than than me. <laughs> I was going to say cleverer, cleverer people than us, but you're cleverer than me. So no. cleverer people. Are, <laughs> you're cleverer people. Are, uh, we need the script again, Jeremy. We definitely need. The script. I, I'm I'm not um, qualified yet, so I'm in the idiot category. Ah, oh, okay, still. okay. But you're you're towards the top of the idiot category. <laughs> but cleverer people than me, um, certainly know, you know, uh, know the reasons why. You, you, this is a really, really bad idea. They know the science behind it, but it, you know, even without the science, it's not a nice thing to do. If, if anybody else in your family did something and you said, I wish they wouldn't do that, would you shock them? Would you use a shock collar and, 
and say you maybe would actually that may be the wrong <laughs> wrong path to go down. but don't don't do it <laughs> don't do it to your family don't do it to your dog that's <laughs> i would love you to go for a week using positive methods <laughs> with us <laughs> yeah here's my problem positive methods you have to catch people or you have dogs. to lure them into doing well, right. the, so if i got the, a sort of a galaxy a square yeah. galaxy and lured you into the right yeah. way of doing okay i'll try that yeah i'll try that <laughs> i'll report back and <laughs> let you know how things have gone but there you go so on to story number three now i've done a, well a story it has hit the headlines with the the queen's corgis it may not have been the most most read uh, royal story this week. Now on to a smaller story, but I think just as, well, yeah, just as important a story, if not more important a story. Yeah, I said it. This is about a new uh, UK charity called the Thin Blue Poor Foundation. They were set up in August 2020 to help support retired police dogs in their new homes. So the first dog they've helped is Jax, who's a German Shepherd. And he was a prison dog, so I imagine he was sniffing for contraband and things like that. I, sorry, in my head he was, <laughs> he was, he in, was prison. in prison. <laughs> no, 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 no. He wasn't a bad dog, he was in prison. No. I ripped up their slippers and now I'm in prison. That kind of thing. That, yes, yeah. yeah. No. no, 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 no. So, he was 12 months old and he joined the prison service in 2018. And then he, he had to retire due to um, hip dysplasia. So he went back to the the breeder, the lady that bred him, and was living there quite, well, yes, quite happily. But then, uh, now let me see, market researcher Hannah Weston saw a post about him on social media and just fell in love with him. She and her partner had been involved with German Shepherds and German Shepherd Crosses um, and and also involved with ex-working dogs, so they knew they could have, kind of were familiar with the breed and with the um, with ex-working dogs. And, and they, they just... didn't mind the fact that he had criminal record. <laughs> they were willing to overlook <laughs> the criminal record. Oh, that's really lovely. That's nice. Oh dear. You don't always hear that, do you? No, that's lovely. no. Sometimes, yes, yes. So they took anyway. They adopted Jax. They got in touch with the breeder and said, "We'd we'd like to adopt Jax." And all went well. And they knew he would have he would need to have surgery in the future for his hip dysplasia, but that you know they would face that when they came to it. Anyway, the surgery was needed earlier than thought, and insurance wouldn't cover it. They did manage to get him insured. They would not cover the uh, the hips because this was a pre-existing condition. So he needed a hip replacement that cost. Seven thousand five hundred pounds. I would imagine that's about six and a half thousand dollars, something like that. Isn't it more in dollars? Is it? Hang on, let me look. Ah, well, no. Okay. I I think you've got that the wrong way around. How many? um, Seven and a half grand in in pounds. (laughs) Look, I put. (laughs) Let's ask Alexa. Hang on. Right, Alexa. How much is seven thousand five hundred pounds in U.S. dollars? Seven thousand five hundred pounds is ten thousand four hundred and eighty-one US dollars and thirty cents. Wow. Okay. So it's over ten thousand dollars. So you know, quite a lot of money. And I tried to sound cool there. Quite a lot of money. Yeah, ten thousand dollars. Oh yeah, quite a lot of money. A uh, a lot. A very a very a lot of money. Buck. Yes, a buck ton of money. So now this is where the thin blue. The Thin Blue Poor Foundation stepped in and paid 
for the hip replacement. And Hannah and her partner had raised some money through uh, GoFundMe, I think. So the money they ra- they raised is going to pay for physiotherapy and, um, you know, the post-treatment care like that. So now he's going to live out the rest of his retirement being able to walk and being treated well. And, you know, and I think that's wonderful because we couldn't live the lives we live, not just us, but everybody. We couldn't live the lives we live um, without working dogs. No, I mean, isn't there that thing about if you've been to an airport, a train station, I can't remember the different things, but you've probably, your life has been saved by a a working dog. And sports stadium and things like that. You know, they, there are sniffer dogs that are, genuinely making our lives safe, making us able to live the lives we lead. The lives we lead, we lead when it's not lockdown. Yes. <laughs> the lives, the, 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 pan, the pre-pandemic lives. And I mean, even the now they're, they're, they're sniffing out COVID. Yes. So, yeah. even we, more, we rely on them so much. Yes. Yeah. So they, you know, these working dogs and assistance dogs, I guess as well, you know, yeah. they, they take on so many roles for us and they allow us to live the lives we, we want to live. And do they not deserve our support for that? They support us in so many ways. When they can't work, whether that's after 12 months working or whether that's after, you know, 10 years working, they deserve a retirement and lots of love and health care. And just like us, they deserve a good retirement. And I, I, so I love this this new charity, the Thin Blue Poor Foundation. I'd like to um, to to speak to somebody from there and find out more about it and the work they're they're doing and how they how we can support them more. Um, so yeah, that that's great. I you know, yeah. love working dogs and um, and police dogs particularly. I mean, they're awesome, awesome. And um, and people often mistake the you know when you see the the police dog um, display at Crofts. And the, the police dog's gone like a bullet from a gun <laughs> and across and grab the, the ne'er-do-well um, by the arm. And people mistake that for aggression and they're actually, they're pulling, they're going, they're playing fetch. <laughs> Basically they're fetching the, 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 well, the ne'er-do-well, but they're fetching the arm or whatever it is. Um, I don't do you know. have to be careful? Like if you just walk in and you accidentally say the word fetch and they just, they bring you a random person. I would imagine so. Yes. <laughs> and you're going, well, sorry. <laughs> um, so... But I mean, they are amazing dogs, and uh, and I mean, my problem is I'm going up to police and going, can I, can I say hello to the dog? And they go, no, he's a big fierce dog, go away. <laughs> oh, can I just say hello a little bit? No, go away. <laughs> so, but uh, do you remember, when when Jenny was a lot younger, we went into um, well, it was actually a market in uh, in Telford, and there was a big Rottweiler. Wasn't oh, it there? was like giant because I was quite little, so yeah. it's about. The same size, yeah. like height wise, yes. as me. And she was sitting there, huge Rottweiler. And Jenny, Jenny goes, "Can I say hello to the dog?" And he's going, "No, that's my guard, my guard dog. That is, leave her alone. Don't touch him." She's going, um, "Can I just say hello though?" And he's like, "We well, all right then?" Well, this Rottweiler just rolled on her <laughs> back and was lapping it up. Was oh yeah, yeah, love me, love me. And and the guy was quite uncomfortable because he had this dog clearly as a you know as a deterrent. As a, you know, leave, leave me alone, I've got a big dog with me. And this dog just was beautiful, beautiful. I think if it wasn't for dogs, I'd never have talked to anyone. Because I think when I was little, the only reason I talked to people was, can I say hello to your yeah. dog, please? Yeah, yeah. Well, you and I, we've gone out and gone up to somebody and said, can we say hello to the dog? And I've got work because of it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it pays off. It pays off going and saying hello to people's dogs. <laughs> well, there you go. Enough of this hilarity. Get us on to another story, Jen. I have a very happy story. 
Yay! And it's research based. Because hmm. we like a bit of we research. Like research. Yeah. So, oxytocin. Yeah. Is this? The- <laughs> Is the chemical that is sort of, they call it the love chemical. Yeah. So, it, depending on your philosophy, it's either the chemical that causes love or is a symptom of love, you know, like yes. whether love causes the chemical or the chemical causes, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and when uh, mums look at babies, um, the mum gets a release of oxytocin and stares into the baby with love. The baby then gets a rush of oxytocin. And stares at the mum, and then the mum, and then it's this cycle oh. back and forth of oxytocin being released, and that creates like that very, very strong bond. It's like the opposite of a vicious cycle, it's like it's a, a, love, a love cycle. A love cycle. <laughs> um, and you may be, may be going, Why are you telling me this? Well, Jen, why are you telling me this? I will tell you why I'm telling tell you me. this. They have found, scientists, just, yeah, they're clever scientists, they, yeah. They're they, scientists, them, yeah. Um, they have found that dogs have a rush of oxytocin. When they look at us. Aww. So we get a rush of oxytocin when we look at our dogs because we love them. And they, when they look at us, they, they ha- when they stare into our eyes, um, they get a rush of oxytocin back, which shows that they love us. They love us. Oh, I love science. <laughs> when science tells me good things like that, I love science. When it backs up things that dog owners have, have we've known for a while. Yeah. We know our dogs love us, but when the science bears that out, yeah, I mean that's amazing. Like the 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 stuff with Greg Burns putting dogs in um, MRI. Yeah, um, that's that's uh, amazing. That's you can you can find that on the Dogcast Radio episode. Um, that's amazing. But things like this, when we actually, I mean, how can they not? You know, people who say, "Oh, they don't really love you." How can they not love us when the bits of their brain light up yeah. for love, and when they get this rush of oxytocin? Mm. Oh, they love us. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of science is things that. As an animal person, you kind of think of it as just common sense. Like, yeah. Of course, you know. Yeah. And then when you get the science to back it up, you're like, see? Yeah. My dog loves me and it's science. <laughs> and I can prove it. You were scienced. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like next that. time you're staring into your dog's eyes and the dog is staring back, you can know they love you. Oh. Yeah. And it's, it's not just, I want some food or yeah. I want this or I want that, that a lot of people, it's, it's love. Yes. I want to know. Now, maybe I shouldn't ask because maybe they don't, but I want to know now. Do cats get this rush of oxytocin? I want to know that. Do my, do our rats get a rush of oxytocin when they look at us? I want to know. What do I think they do. Yeah. And you thought that dogs do, and then the, the yeah. science back caught up with you. I think to you save up. some time, scientists should just come to me and they go, right, I've got a checklist yep. of questions, and I'll just go, <laughs> yep, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Should we use shot collars? No. Okay. Do our dogs and our guinea pigs and our rats and our goldfish get a rush of Yes, they do. Okay. Right. I, I love research into animals and one of the things... This is, this is gonna... I, I don't know if this is a normal thing, a normal mm. animal person thing. Yeah, probably not. No, or if this on. is a meat thing. Okay, so... You know when you're you're looking for, like I was looking for a litter tray for the rats or um, a bed for Missy or a cat tree for the cats? Hmm. So... They're they're available in a range of colours. And I don't know what it's like to to look at things from an animal, like a dog's eyes. So I don't know what colours they like. So I've looked up whether animals have favourite colours and, like, is there a colour? Like, sometimes yellow hurts my eyes. Sometimes yellow, I just can't look at yellow. And so I would hate it if I wasn't in control of, like, if someone... You know, if I had red uh, yellow bedding and I'd be like, I don't want it, you know. So... (laughs) 
every time, almost every time I buy something, I look up. Do I, does this animal have a favourite colour? Oh. And then, like, I found that I think cats like pink. Oh. Um, for some reason, I don't know why. Um, if you want a dog to see something very clearly, I think it's, it might be yellow. Hmm. I can't remember, but when I, look, yeah. when I buy something, I look up colours and see, like, um, cause, uh, dogs are red and green. Yeah, they, as you said, they can't see yes, Christmas. That genuinely made me so sad. It did, I remember. That they can't see Christmas. Yeah. Cause they can't see red and green. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I will look up what colours they can see or what colours might be their favourite colour to oh. make sure that they've oh, got the nicest colour. <laughs> That never occurred to me. It will do now. <laughs> the net back there. Yeah. Hadn't occurred to me before. But, um, well, there you go. But that's why all our cats have um, pink things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like pink, so that, that suits me. Um, do you think that's all we have time for on this episode so. of the Dogcast Radio News? Yep. Yep. I so. Okay, so um, I guess we'll see you the next time. Is it, are you wanting me to say that? Is that what your eyebrows yeah. are doing? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I've been told that's all we have time for. We'll see you next time on the Dogcast Radio News. Bye. (laughs) African hunting dogs, also known as cape hunting dogs, African painted dogs or hyena dogs, are the most successful hunter in the world, catching 50 to 70% of their prey. I've spoken to so many people whose dog has inspired their creativity, whether it's poetry, music, art or writing. Our dogs spark ideas in us. When Kelly Connorboy adopted her dog, Peter, it set her on the path to writing The Particulars of Peter. And I love the continuation of the title. Dance lessons, DNA tests and other excuses to hang out with my perfect dog. It's described as an ode to Kelly's dog, the aforementioned Peter, and is a hilarious journey through the odd corners of obsessive dog ownership. I get where she's coming from with that. A hybrid of memoir, reporting and humour writing, Kelly's quest to understand Peter manifests itself in conversations with veterinarians, ethicists, ghost hunters, professional dog dancers and at least one Bruce Springsteen impersonator. (laughs) Sounds like we're in for a good ride. Yeah, oh, wow. it's, it's a, it covers a wide span. Yes, yeah. So let's <laughs> let's start with how did you meet Peter? Um, I met him because I I decided I wanted to foster a dog, um, and he was the first foster I I got from the rescue. Hmm. And they warned me that I was going to want to adopt him, and that that was not allowed. Um, oh, and I thought. Well, no, I'll be fine. I, <laughs> I just want to have, you know, I want to help the, I want to help with fostering. I don't necessarily want to adopt, but then of course I wanted to adopt him immediately. Um, <laughs> he was, he was instantly my soulmate. So I had to beg them and, and eventually they, they allowed me to adopt him. You know, of course they did. <laughs> yes, bless <laughs> <No>. him. <laughs> you see, that could be a sneaky way for, for them to get adoptions. They could say, just foster, just foster this dog. And then, of course, you fall for the dog. It's like, no, I want to keep him. And they say, well, we'll yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have him. <laughs> yeah, bless him. So, so tell us a bit about him. How is he a, a breed or a mix? I mean, well, obviously he is. I mean, what <laughs> breed or mix is he? I mean, 
Yeah, he, I had him um, DNA, well, I did one of those at-home DNA tests with yeah. him, um, which sort of led to the book. I, I wrote that for, for a website, but it came back with, I think, 10 different breeds, or maybe wow. it was eight, but the, his main, the top two components um, for, you know, as as much as it can be trusted, but the top two were Labrador, like Black Lab and Chihuahua. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> which makes absolute sense when you see him because he looks like a little black lab puppy sort of um yeah. he has just a this tiny little chihuahua head and sort of a larger body he's he's a very interesting looking little sweet boy <laughs> oh bless if that's a, but labrador chihuahua that's to me that's that sounds like i love you but you better love me back because i'm cute <laughs> Oh, bless him. Yes. I had a black Labrador, so I'm biased towards black labs. But, um, yeah. but I mean, to me, a Labrador, you know, the influence of a Labrador in a breed can only be a good thing. <laughs> I bet oh, he's really I loving. I agree. Yeah, it's a it's a good mix. Yeah. Gosh, so 10 mixes in there. So he, he is sort of the the offspring of sort of a, a, a mix with a mix with a mix with a mix, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, the the um, DNA test sort of puts together what they think is the family tree. And it was very expansive. Here, let me actually get it so I can. At least there's no inbreeding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so he's Labrador Retriever, according to the test, which is just the cheek swab. So who knows? But Labrador Retriever, Chihuahua, Golden Retriever, Dotson, Rat Terrier, Miniature Schnauzer, American Staffordshire Terrier and 10% Super Mutt. Oh, wow. Chow Chow, Dalmatian, um, Sharpay, sort of. Yeah. yeah. He he has a spotted tongue, which I think comes from that that DNA. (laughs) Oh, bless him. He says, do you know, I meet so many dogs at a distance that I'm never going to meet in person. Like, oh, (laughs) so lovely. But he does. He sounds gorgeous. So yeah, he, he inspired this this adventure for you, this writing. And I know I, I do know um, about how <laughs> an obsession I had. My obsession was I wanted to take my dog to Crufts. And oh, um, yeah. yeah, but it's good because you get this mad idea because dogs have to qualify for Crufts. They can't just sort of turn sure. and, and um, <laughs> you can't just take your dog along with you. And and so I wanted to qualify him for Crufts. And so it became this 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 project we did called Crufts or Bust. And I said to my husband, look, can I just take a year? I won't take forever. I won't become a mad dog woman. Honestly, madder dog woman. I just want to take a year. And if at the end of the year we haven't done it, I'll, I'll stop. But can we see if we can qualify him in that year? So we spent the year and we, and we did some um, doggy dancing, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. And we tried, we tried doggy dancing. We tried agility. Um... Oh, obedience, ha ha. Um, and uh, we did, we did, we did get them. We got there really on Buddy's forte of meeting people. We went for the Blue Cross, a charity, um, to represent them. And he became a, um, a, a Blue Cross educational dog, education dog, uh, going into schools and, and um, helping oh. me talk to people. Yeah. And, and, and so he, that was amazing. He was also on the Safe and Sand, the Kennel Club Safe and Sand team, which is demonstrating to children again how to safely meet dogs. And it was just an amazing memory to have. Um, but I do identify with that. You get this yeah. this idea and you go, I have to do this now. <laughs> I will regret it if I don't do it. So, right. I've thought of it. So now I just, I can't not do it. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so tell me, I mean, what was originally sort of what was what was the idea that drove you to write this book? Basically, so in my career, I, I don't have like a topic that I focus on. I sort of just follow um, whatever is interesting to me in that moment. Mm-hmm. And when I adopted Peter, it just all of my ideas were about him. Like he was sort of the driving force of all of my creative energy. Um, And I was writing for a website at that point called The Cut, which is a New York magazine blog. And I wrote about him a few times, but eventually they they were like, you have to write about other things. Like you can't write about your dog. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just, you know, channeled all of those ideas into uh, what became the book eventually, because it, it was just, you know, um, yeah. I, so I, I came across that dog show and wanted to do the dog dance, like the canine freestyle with him. I wanted to see if he could hunt ghosts. I want, I just had all of these things that I wanted to do with him. And yeah, so the book was the perfect vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, know. I have sat at so many you know, shows I mean, like country shows and watch somebody do doggy dancing with their, their dog or, or at Crofts even and watch somebody do doggy dancing with their dog and thought, I'd like to have a go at that. I'd like to have a go at that. And, it was, <laughs> and then what actually, what, what was the um, slightly more serious uh, spur behind it was when Buddy's age started to overtake mine, there was a year at the beginning of which I think he was 35 and I was 39. And at the end he was, I was f- coming up to 40 and he was 42 and he'd actually overtaken me. And I was like, mm-hmm. I am not going to have this dog forever. You know, we've, we've got to do some, um, some serious uh, memory making, you know, and that was what really made me think, right, get up off your bottom and go and do some dancing. Then you want to go and do it, go and do it. And actually that's the thing. We never compete. Well, we had a little go at competing, but never, we were never going to be any great shakes. But what was wonderful was if we were on a walk, and I could look around and go, well, nobody's around. So we could do some weaves and some twirls. Mm-hmm. And, some, and we just both enjoyed it. And, it's you know, so it wasn't fun. for anybody else. What, what was your experience of it? Um, yeah, so we, for two different chapters, we did um, agility, which is another, you know, yeah. dog sport. And we did the canine freestyle. Um, the agility was great because he just had so much fun with it. Um, yeah. I was horrible at it. I don't know if you had this experience, but it's, it's difficult. Like, it's so <laughs> like yes. the dogs are sort of, they, they're sort of naturally good at it if you can lead them to do it. But it's very, it was very hard for me to be coordinated in the way that he needed me to be to sort yes. of lead him around the weaves or like into the tunnel or whatever. Yeah. So and keep it all in your mind, like where am I going? Yeah. And, um, and the guy I went to was absolutely is world class, Lee Gibson. He's world class, but my brain isn't world class apparently. <laughs> and he, he'd be saying, "You need to stand here, and you need to do this arm, and you need yes. to move this way." And I'd be going, right. "Point your this way." Yes. And I'd be going, "What was the third thing, Lee? What do I have?" To? And I can't remember it. <laughs> I keep. I take my hat off to to agility handlers. Honestly, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, ultimately, I feel like as a handler, I was really holding him back. <laughs> I identify. Yeah. um yeah so and and it was sort of the same thing with um with canine freestyle like I I was able to we learned a few moves my goal was also um to eventually compete (laughs) but because I I was horrible and because he 
not because of canine freestyle, but throughout the process got an injury that yeah. prevented him from continuing to take lessons. I mean, he's better now. He, we could start it up again. Maybe we will, but um, yeah, I did not, I did not reach my ultimate goal, but he's still, you know, I'll say spin and like have him go under my leg to get a treat. And that's, you know, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's two benefits of it for you, for the owner. You can say to your friends, Hey, Hey, look at what my dog can do. And it's, you know, it's a party piece, party trick, for yeah. them. but also for the dog. It's that mental stimulator that stimulates. Mm-hmm. Ah, can't say my words. Today. It's that mental stimulation that we so often overlook and it just, they need a job. They're not, you know, we think it's great right. to sort of chill out and just relax, but they need something to do, don't they? Right. Yeah. That was the best part of, of all of it. Just seeing how happy he was to learn new things and like have activities and learn new skills. Yeah. Yeah. it just you know it he was clearly like so overjoyed to to have these new things to do and that was the best part yeah yeah how did you find the actual the training because I can remember when I went to um, and again I lucked out so much because I phoned a lady who was offering heel work to music classes near me about an hour for me and sort of spoke to her and she'd actually trained Kate from Kate and Jean who who um did really really well in, in Britain's Got Talent um, mm-hmm. t- uh, television talent show and so I went to this lady again I got some brilliant trainers and they were lovely and again I wasn't quite up to the, <laughs> the job but she was wonderful and so she we were teaching him various things and I couldn't get it right and I can remember saying to her why can't I do this and she was saying because I've been I've been doing this for years and years and years and you <laughs> this is your first lesson mm-hmm. you know and I could I got sort of quite I mean she helped me and we we did put routines together and I, that was the, the discipline I liked the most I think because it gave you a chance you picked your music and you made the routine and you got a right. costume you know, and it, there was such a lot of flair in that I really liked that but you know I really needed help from them and um and I got frustrated that I couldn't do it as well as them so so how did you get on with actually the the training bit of the the work to music yeah it was hard I, I um um, we went to this place called Doggy Academy, um, which is near where I live in New York. And for agility, we took it as part of a class. So there were four other dogs there, four other humans, and and everybody would sort of have their turn at learning the the trick. If this was just you know agility one yeah. was the beginners course in front of the rest of the group. Um, so that sort of made it extra embarrassing when, you know, I'm <laughs> pointing my foot the wrong way and like have my hand in the air and just the dog is, and Peter's like, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> yeah. And the, I really loved our trainer, but she was totally like, <laughs> not stingy with telling you exactly what you did wrong. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And really pointing out, like, listen, if you did it the right way, he would have done it. Like, this oh. is your fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. she used positive methods with the dog, but not with you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, I understand. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh. But I mean, it's fun. You get you get quality time with your dog. You make some friends. You know, it's mm-hmm. a good it's a good experience, isn't it? Really? It was so fun. It was, and for we did um. I didn't include this in the book, but we took another course in scent work. Do you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which he also loved. And that was funny because it was the same sort of setup where you would, one person in the class would go and everybody else would watch and he would just 
the entire walk up to the front of the room where he would like search for the sense, he would spin and spin and spin and spin <laughs> and just clearly be so thrilled that it was his turn to do whatever he was going to be doing. Um, which, and he, he was pretty good at agility scent work. He was not as good at, but that did not hamper his enthusiasm yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. I I mean I guess in a way if you can get lessons on your own that's great but if you can get lessons in a group that teaches the dog sort of impulse control you know I have to wait now it's yeah sometimes you think oh I'm just sitting here but you can you can always practice little things with the dog but it actually teaches the dog no you have to wait now and that's a really useful skill to learn actually isn't it yeah 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 and that is um (laughs) there's the one trick in agility where you just have to stop and um, wait on a platform yeah yeah um that he was actually very good at that was his best trick oh bless him (laughs) so it's for those who might not know you it's this I forget what it's actually called but during the agility run there's a point where they have to sit on a block basically just to pause for a few seconds and then they continue the agility run um I guess just to show that skill that they um wait (laughs) and then start again um but that he was immediately very good at it and it has it's like very useful just in life um that wait and you know when we're sitting at a red light wait or you know when we're I'm putting his dinner together. Yeah. There's a lot of crossover between these classes and, you know. Yeah. Real life. Yeah. You know, you saying that I can remember working with Buddy on um, the uh, Kennel Club uh, Good Citizen scheme. And mm-hmm. one of the things, I think it's in the gold level, uh, name drop there, but I think it's in the gold level. <laughs> and then um, it's, think. yeah, I, I think it was in the gold. <laughs> we're doing that, yeah. <laughs> but you have to stop a dog. So you call them to you very, very gently. You said, you know, come here. And then you stop the dog and they stop. Mm-hmm. And I tried all the words I could. I tried sit and I tried down and I tried wait, nothing. And then we were at home and my husband had left the door open. So I was in the kitchen and my husband, the front door was open and the, and Buddy ran in from the lounge. And I just went, no, without thinking, because I just thought he's going to run outside and he's going to get run over. So, no. And he stopped straight away and looked at me like, what's the matter? What? And I was like, right. Okay. And then, then we could take that into the class and, and do it. And actually now, I mean, I've written articles about uh, um, why, it's, why you shouldn't say no to a dog. What does it mean? Um, you know, and, and it can be a negative sound and it can damage your relationship. So I, I try not to use the word no. But in that instance, he, without thinking, I said no. And he obviously showed me, okay, no means just up and wait here okay so then we transferred it and obviously got lots yeah. of treats for it but um, but I love training that either comes from real life or you can use in real life it's it's really good stuff isn't it mm-hmm. yeah 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 it's and especially like when it's something like that where you can actually use it for safety yes. reasons it's yeah super, super useful yeah but yeah even if it's just um another just like the really simple ones like I we had to learn up where he hopped up mm. on to, I think the, the thing where he waits, but um, it's just useful. Like when he has to hop up onto the scale at the vet, he could just say up 
and he yeah. does it. But yeah, no, it's all, it's all very fun and useful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so tell me about the ghosts. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> yeah, this is maybe the weirdest part. Um, good, good. But I like. <laughs> um, I've had sort of a weird interest in the idea of ghost hunting. I did this series for this website called Gawker called um, Spectre. I forget what it was called, but it, I went to, um, oh, Spectre Detector is what it was called. Um, yeah. I went to allegedly haunted sites in New York to, you know, see if they were haunted. It was it was mainly for comedic purposes, which yeah. this this chapter is too. But um, when I was planning the book, I, I knew I wanted to, I, I know there's an idea that dogs, because they are so sensitive, you know, they can yes. smell cancer. They can maybe detect COVID-19 now. Um, they're, they're just so sensitive and aware of everything around them um, that they are somehow able to sense the presence of ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've been used on, you know, ghost hunting TV shows, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I knew I wanted to incorporate that. So, um, Peter and I got a little bit of ghost hunting gear and went out in New York city to see if we could, um, spot a ghost <laughs> <laughs> and got some, got some help from, dog ghost hunting websites got some help from tour guides who do you know ghost hunting tours of new york but um <laughs> but so yeah, yeah. um the, the, so i i guess i'll say that i i didn't want him to be you know assuming <laughs> that ghosts assuming that ghosts are real <laughs> yeah <laughs> I didn't want him to have to encounter a human ghost because I didn't know if he would be afraid so I, I chose a dog ghost that um allegedly haunts a park in New York City so oh, wow. called Fala who was Franklin Roosevelt's dog oh wow <laughs> yeah so yeah he this this dog ghost allegedly haunts Washington Square Park so oh, we wow. <laughs> wow. I, do you do you want to give away whether you <laughs> whether you yeah, keep that or do you want to? <laughs> um, I don't. And you know, M- Peter. You know, again, he doesn't talk, so he maybe he spotted him and he couldn't okay. tell. Okay. I, I I personally did not come across the dog ghost. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See now, I just want to take my dog and well, my daughter's dog and say, right, let's go and see if we can find a ghost. There's a castle nearby that does um, sleepovers for uh, you know for, for ghost. Um, you're right yeah come on missy (laughs) we're off (laughs) i can do that i'm gonna add that to my my list of things i want to do now yeah Yeah. Um, so so tell me about wolfstock as well so wolfstock is allegedly the largest dog festival in north america um it's in toronto Hmm. and it's there there are a lot of these dog festivals in at, at least the United States where they have these sort of punny names like Whoopstock, Um, and they are basically, I guess, festivals for dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have, you know, stands where they sell dog merchandise. They have doggy talent shows. They have, uh, 
sometimes agility demonstrations and, you know, things where you can dress your dog in some sort of awful costume and have, you know, a contest. (laughs) Uh, So we, uh, I knew these sort of festivals existed. I had never been to one. So I was researching them. And when I came across Woofstock, the fact that it was billed as the largest one in North America sort of made me feel like, well, of course, that's the one that we have to go to. We have to be done. Um, and it's a two day festival. So we went, I was very, it was about a nine hour drive, which terrified me because I, I'm very anxious with driving with Peter. (laughs) Yes. Um, I got him pet insurance before I got him a seatbelt with a little doggy vest, you know, (laughs) but we made it. Um, and yeah, it, I, I was mainly curious about whether he would like it or whether these sort of festivals, are entertaining for dogs or if they're just sort of the thing that a human is like, well, I'm desperate to make my dog happy. Maybe this will do it. Um, And I found that he did not seem to like it. (laughs) Um, He, which I sort of suspected because he's not very doggy in the usual ways. Um, He's, you know, not very enthusiastic about, getting treats from people. He's always sort of nervous about that. He's not, you know, somebody's jumping on you and slobbering on you. He's that's, more reserved. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, I, I don't know about chihuahuas very much, but that, that's the chihuahua side coming out. <laughs> it's yeah. not the Labrador side. <laughs> yeah. Yes, definitely. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so, so we, we participated in a canine beauty pageant, which he did not win incorrectly. Oh, oh he was robbed. He should have, yes. He was absolutely won. robbed. We heard, you know, a little doggy band. He tried to do a, uh, a lure course. Yeah, yeah. He was too afraid to do. Oh, bless him. <laughs> Ultimately, it was not for him. But yeah. it seemed like other dogs did enjoy it <laughs> yes yeah I think that's the thing though you you need to find out what your dog yeah. likes and then do that you can't sort of get them and go right I'm going to make sure they like this this and this right and you know you need to listen to them and look at them just like you didn't say well okay no this isn't for you we're not going to do it again but we tried it right yeah you have to pay attention to I think a lot of people can sort of maybe think dogs are all the same sort of way. Like a dog yes. is a dog is a dog. Yeah. And I, I think it's very important to actually figure out who your dog is and yeah. what they need and, and what they want and what they absolutely do not want. And yeah. he did not want Woodstock. <laughs> oh, bless him. Yeah. But at least you listen. I think you're absolutely right because, you know, they are so individual and even within a breed, yes, there are traits that they may share, but you know, I mean, for example, my Labrador would not swim. He just would not mm-hmm. go in water. Well, you know, so you can read all about them, but each each dog, I think, is a different adventure. And yes, it's just absolutely. being brave enough to go on that adventure with them, isn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I agree. Bless Everybody should, should spend a year uh, trying all the things they can with their dog. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, <laughs> so as well, I'm going to have to ask, tell me about the Bruce Springsteen impersonator. <laughs> throughout the um, book I have these sort of mini chapters where it's just the main chapters are focused on Peter and finding out and doing an activity with him finding out how he feels about it 
that sort of thing. And then I have these little mini chapters that are sort of universal. Um, one of them is about how I feel strange when I find a whisker, a fallen whisker, and how I don't want to throw it out. Oh. <laughs> sort of explaining that. And then there's this one about um, why Bruce Springsteen doesn't have a song about a dog <laughs> because oh, I know yeah. he's an animal lover. I know he has dogs. He has a farm. Um, so as a Bruce Springsteen fan, I just wanted a Bruce Springsteen song about a dog. So of course my original plan was to talk to Bruce Springsteen himself about it, but that proved um, <laughs> not possible. <laughs> yeah. He was, he so, was busy, uh, was he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he was. Um, so the I, I figured the next best thing would be to reach out to different Bruce Springsteen, um, the the front men of different Bruce Springsteen cover bands, mm. um, yes. to see if they had any insight about why Bruce Springsteen um, has not yet written a song about a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and did did they shed? Was it acceptable? The light they shed on that subject was that um, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they definitely tried to help um yeah. which which you know none of them could give me a definitive answer but they're they, they definitely tried to help and at the end I ended up um writing my own Bruce Springsteen song about Peter so oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> to the tune of Thunder Road so yeah. it, it, the, the new title is Peter Road so <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent can we listen to that anywhere or is that just for you, that just for you? <laughs> the lyrics are there so you know if you know the tune to thunder road you can sing it out loud for yourself okay <laughs> right i will try that um <laughs> something i like is it, somebody described the book as sort of the love story between you and you and peter and i love that because that's that should be at the heart of when we have a dog surely mm-hmm. it should that's what it should be a love story between us shouldn't it Yes, I, yes, absolutely. Um, And I, I'm really happy it's coming across that way because that was um, (laughs) another thing my agent, I, I, as, as sort of a joke, when I was putting together the proposal, I had the um, title, the particulars of Peter, a love story. (laughs) You can't call it. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's sort of a, a an overused um, subtitle at this point. <laughs> yeah, oh. but that is my my intention with the book and yes. with with what I hope people take away from it. Just the desire to have like a really deep relationship yeah. with their dog that is personal to them and and real. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I asked I asked um, a man Graham Sims who has been a working shepherd. So he's he's worked, he's relied on his dogs for work. And I mm-hmm. said to him, you know, what, what's the best advice you can give someone about their dog? And he said, love your dog so much, they can't resist you. It wasn't what I was expecting at all. And I was like, wow, that is fantastic. And I you yeah. know, he's absolutely, because if you love them, everything else just falls into place. You will find out, you know, the best way to train them, the best way to live with them, the best way right. to feed them, you know, but you'll be motivated from a good place, won't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And everything will just get easier. I think when you stop resisting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, that, that complete love that I think some someone recently asked me what, if I, 
had advice for first time dog owners. And I said to just give up the idea that you're going to keep them from, um, having domain over all of your possessions and like, (laughs) you're not going to be able to keep your house tidy and you just have to get over it and, and, uh, not resist that and just love them and be happy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Yes, you yeah. have all these rules ahead of time. They're not going to get onto the sofa and they're not going to right. not, not, And gradually that gets eroded. Yeah. And if you just let them onto, you know, the sofa, they could be like, they, they could have been cuddling with you this whole time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's the thing. Look at why, why are you doing this? You know, why, why is that rule in place? If with the sofa thing, it's because the sofa will get damaged. Well, put a cover on the sofa then. You know, we always had, we used to have two. Yeah. Now our dog is very little. <laughs> and um, so if she gets on the sofa, she gets on the sofa and she doesn't shed very much. Um, but when we had, you know, two or three Labradors in, well, two Labradors in the house, it was like, well, yeah, they do come in wet and they shed a lot of hair. Okay, we'll have a, we'll have a, a quadruped <laughs> couch. And we covered it and they knew mm-hmm. that's, that's the one you can get on and we could get on it with them. But yeah. that's the one we keep nice for visitors to sit on who don't want to come in and have <laughs> their, their clothes coming in. So, right, right, in, in, right. okay, so you just, it's finding the way that works for you, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And just, yeah, I, I love that. Just loving them completely. Yeah. That's yeah. great. <laughs> absolutely. And is, is there anything else that you, you haven't had a chance to say about the book yet or about Peter that you, you'd like to say? Well, I just love him so much. He's sitting right next to me now. He's patiently waiting. <laughs> I don't know what. But yeah, I, I guess, yeah, The I, I've said it already, but um, the main thing I hope people get from it is just wanting to have a deeper relationship with their own dog and yeah. seeing yeah. their own dog as an individual um, yes. who they are sort of entrusted to no, I, I talk about this at the end of the book, but um, the way I think about it is like I'm the one who gets to really know Peter, the only one. Yeah. No, well, now there's a book about him, but in in <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, in a real way, I'm the only one who gets to know them. You're the only one who really gets to know your dog. So yeah, I, I it's you know your purpose to take a. a great interest in really knowing them and loving them yeah um so i hope that's what people get out of it oh that's <laughs> lovely that's absolutely lovely i you know there's a showing in the dog world isn't there about um sorry there's a saying in the dog showing world about um you take the best dog home so win or lose it doesn't matter you take the best dog home but i think more more than that you need to have your dog think i'm taking the best person home yeah you know that's, um, yeah <laughs> that's i think because as you, you say they they're you know you're their person that you are their defender and their advocate and so sort of you make the rules for them so you know d- just do do the best you can and be their best person you know yeah so, yeah, yeah. Oh. exactly oh that's so nice <laughs> oh thank you it's been absolutely lovely talking to you where can people find out more about you online my site is just my name, kellyconaboy.com. Um, I'm Kelly Conaboy on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so, yeah. Okay, great. We will put those links on. And um, thank you very much. And the best of luck with the book. And, and um, Peter, who has been sitting here very patiently. <laughs> thank you to him as well. Peter was very patient, bless him. 
All the links Kelly mentioned are on the Dogcast Radio site, and I wish her and Peter the best of luck as they continue on their journey. And it's time for us all to continue on our journey right now, because that's the end of this podcast. But hey, there are 229 other episodes waiting for you at dogcastradio.com. Plus, you can always interact with us on social media, and we'll be back soon. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. Mum? Yes, Jen? I thought we should probably stop doing so many dog puns for the joke, but yeah. then I forgot. You forgot? I forgot. No, you're saying forgot really funny. I forgot. Yeah, you forgot, I know. So what, should we do something different? I think you should forget about it. Yeah, you I, should, should we get some speech therapy for you? Because you're saying that word really strangely. It's almost like you're saying forget. God, oh, I get it. Forgot. It's very good. Very good. I won't hound you about it. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs>